Hi, this is Matt Cooley, host of the podcast Upside Downside, where we explore what it takes to be the best finance business partners possible. I'm a finance business partner myself by day and former president of the New York City chapter of Financial Executives International. Joining me today is Greg Kogan, Assistant Professor of Accounting at Long Island University and former guest here on Upside Downside. Welcome back, Greg. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, Same here. I'm glad to have you back. This past April, we talked about how companies can derive and protect value creation from data analytics. You and your co-author, Nathan Myers, have a new book out called Self-Service Data Analytics and Governance for Managers, published by Wiley. Data analytics has evolved, um, as we all have seen, particularly from a self-service perspective. And I wanted to have you back and share what finance business partners need to be thinking about. So shall we jump right in? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right, great. So why are companies moving towards self-service data analytics? Can you kind of recap the journey for us so far? Yes, yes. So uh, self-service analytics is a fairly recent thing. And I think it's very popular now because particularly in finance and accounting, it's more popular now because we find that we've had these ERP systems, these big systems that accountants, finance personnel work in, and they're uploading files, they're downloading files, they're using Excel to do the analysis. Um, And even though these big systems automate a lot of the processing, somehow professionals are still ending up having a good portion of their day being doing manual stuff around Excel. So now self-service analytics comes in and this is things like Tableau or Ultrix that automate uh, reporting or analyzing or reconciling or aggregating. And these tools simply allow um, professionals to automate their processing in a self-service matter, meaning that they themselves can actually deploy this process and oversee it and have it be executed. And, And at the end of the day, I think it's really taking off because there's a lot of return on investment opportunity here. And I, and I mean that by basically using these tools to reduce the number of hours um, doing things that can just be done otherwise now. So I think mm-hmm. that's, where, that's where the motivation is. And I think that um, you know, the capability is now here in a way. And, um, you know, and I think a, a lot of companies are taking advantage of that. Right. No, that, that, yeah. that, that makes sense. What's wrong with our old Excel models? Like what specifically? Yeah. So Excel, you know, and and again, I feel like Excel is great. And Excel is a tool that has been around, I think, since the 80s, which is really great. Um, And I think it's sort of, you know, it was really, really good and, and, and exciting, I think, having things in Excel when we used to have things in paper, in paper. So moving from paper to Excel was very efficient. But now where most of our in, you know, inputs and outputs are digital um, to house some kind of processing in Excel actually seems like a step backwards because you're taking something that's already digital, um, you're putting it into a manual hands and manual processing, and, and then you're uploading it somewhere again where if something is wrong, it's going to permeate many other processes. So the issue is really it's sort of like the weakest uh, link in the chain now um, even though it used to be uh, probably our strongest link now has become something that we can avoid by or minimize by having these other digital tools where we get 
an input from a digital place, put it into our some kind of self-service process and output it without constantly touching in Excel. So long story short, it's manual and repetitive. And those two <laughs> words are the red flags usually for when you're looking to automate something or, or use analytics to make something more efficient. So that's really All right. You, you, yeah. you heard it, Microsoft, manual and repetitive. <laughs> there you go. Um, give, give us some examples of what can go wrong when we don't have proper governance of self-service state analytics. Yeah. So, so uh, when we don't have proper governance of self-service analytics, you know, what can happen is that, you know, and imagine these things that they start off sometimes small, even at big companies, these analytics programs, uh, or even smaller at mid-sized companies or, or smaller companies. So the, the one biggest issue that we've seen is that it actually can bring down the whole analytics program. Um, because say you don't have governance and people are doing self-service analytics and all of a sudden something goes wrong um, and it wasn't caught because there was no governance. So somebody can come in and say, hey, look, you guys are doing the wrong thing. You're wasting our money. And the business can come in and say, this is not working for us. This is another one of those fad um, technologies that we're not not willing to pay for. So in one end, it can actually help the uh, success of the whole program. And that's really the goal. On another end, uh, what can go wrong without governance is, uh, you know, lack of accuracy of outputs. You can't really rely on it because the controls are not there. And, you know, if you're a public company, which, you know, most large companies are, you could actually get into trouble with audits because um, SOX 404, Sarbanes Oxley actually covers this piece in terms of having internal proper internal controls if it touches your financial reporting. So having controls and governance around this is, is kind of ma- baked into some of those other laws. Um, right. but yeah, I was just, I was just yeah. thinking about the yeah. 404 controls around Excel models, you know, as you were, as you were speaking about that. And so, you know, now that it's moving into to models that are more automated, yeah, that, that's a super important point. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's kind of uh, something that I know it's 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 on everybody's mind, but surprisingly, there hasn't been any regulation or even best practice guidance from the government either in in the U.S. or elsewhere about this. So it's something that companies actually do themselves, or or I know that the big four also provide uh, some guidance around this. Um, but it, but since this is all new, I imagine it's going to take a couple more years until we actually get some kind of say SEC guidance on how to do this, you know? Yeah, no, fair, yeah. fair enough. And, and I think that's why your and uh, Nathan's book is important. <laughs> Thank <laughs> what, you. What, what does a government governance framework look like from a practical perspective? And, uh, from your experience and research, what percentage of companies already have something, uh, a reasonable framework in place? Yes. So um, help us visualize this, please. What is this? What is this framework all about? So on a very simple level, and 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 this is where um where a lot of companies that are that are just kind of getting into analytics, you know. So if you think the Fortune 100 or sort of the, those type of big companies, they've already been there, they've done that. But a lot of companies are jumping in uh, on a deeper level now, and their biggest priority in terms of governance is what we call investment governance. And that is, how do you select processes to automate? Um, how do you find return on investment of processes before you even automate them? 
And we provide metrics of how many hours you could save, how easy is that process. And you do a sort of a ranking. Say you have 50 processes, you rank them all by how many hours they're going to save you. And then you just automate the best ones first. That way you can prove to management that you're doing a good job. And we call that investment governance. And that is actually something that I think a lot of companies look to first now. Um, Then once you're already in the field and you have a lot of analytics deployments in your portfolio, what we talk about is two types of governance. We talk about project governance and we talk about risk governance. So project governance is all about um, the maintenance of your analytics projects. And that means having development standards. It means documenting each process. It means having staff adequately trained, um, having a governance committee, and also having a sponsor within your firm that supports the program with resources and, and clout with management, make sure that it survives, make sure it's properly funded. That's project governance. And risk governance is all about um, you know, once you have all these processes out there, what we, what we recommend is you go through each process and you risk assess it. And this is something that we, you know, as auditors do, internal auditors, external auditors. Um, and this is something we recommend, not even from a compliance perspective, but from a strategic risk management perspective to understand where your risk is. Because mm-hmm. if your risk score, all of your processes, we, what we basically call it is you have this portfolio view of risk. You start saying, oh, look, I have a little bit of risk here. And then stop three. I don't have that much risk in these bottom 20. Um, and then you could stratify it by department. It's basically giving you the ability for strategic risk responses, um, which means that if you do have resources to mitigate risk, which one do you address first? Oh, let me address these top three because I risk for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So that's I, really I love that. Yeah. I love the portfolio approach too, because um, <clears throat> you know we know that we can take more risks if we understand the portfolio impact versus just zeroing in on individual risks. So yeah. I, I think th- that's really that's really cool. Um, it, it sounds just listening to it, it kind of sort of sounds like a lot, but <clears throat> your book is actually full of a lot of practical tools, and and you know I think that's why. Um, you know, as I shared with you previously, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading it because it includes checklists, approaches to scoring risks, as you're talking about how to prioritize low hanging fruit like governance of process automation. There's a lot of useful, very practical things in this book. What what would you say it offers a finance business partner um, who's providing decision support and value creation guidance to executives? Yeah, for a finance business partner, I would say, um, you know, one thing is just to be aware of what what are these sort of best practices in terms of governance of self-service analytics, because if if, if you find yourself relying on some dashboards um, for your executive business partner um, that are being used for decision-making and say this is a Tableau dashboard, you know, just be aware of, you know, what type of governance goes into making something like that reliable, making, make sure that um, some of those governance are already in place or somebody, somebody else is taking care of it, but it might be a good uh, conversation to have. Another thing we talk about is the governance committee, which um, I believe the business partner could contribute 
to this kind of governance overall because he's close to the business. He knows exactly what the business needs. And, and lastly, there could be some potential analytics opportunities in the business that the business partner, finance business partner may be more aware of than other people uh, because they're just so close to the business and they're so close to the production of the, of the numbers or the reports. And that is something that could be more so for, wait, are these, is this an opportunity for an automation or an analytics? Uh, wait, how many hours are we spending on this? So it could be an actually opportunity to improve, the, you know, to uh, facilitate cost savings to, the, to that business mm-hmm. as another mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. And I believe that you advocate that these governance committees should be largely staffed by, you know, folks that understand the business. This isn't just the domain of the IT people anymore. It's not about the tools as much as it is about the, you know, the, the analytical opportunity. Exactly. That's what's so exciting about this um, is that since the, um, you know, the self-service analytics is not that complicated to implement in terms of Alteryx or Tableau or these other tools with Microsoft BI. It's the business people that usually implement them because they're intimately familiar with the process and the question that they're trying to solve. So the governance is also run on the business side with some IT support. So that's what I find is another very intricate thing about this is that it is for the business run by business folks with support of IT and I think that's kind of exciting because uh, I think it's, first of all, it's creating a lot more, a lot of opportunities for new roles for people. And, uh, and I think it's also exciting that it's something that, um, that stays in the business because I think that having it all be on the business side makes it a little bit easier because uh, ultimately it will be run by the business, by business folks. So it's easier that the governance piece also is run by the business, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's very cool. Just a few years ago, the discussion was really focused on the tools themselves and the new job roles and all that kind of stuff that we would face in a, in a, digitized world. Well, it's obviously here now, and we're talking about how to govern these powerful capabilities, uh, particularly as things are pushed down to the front lines. How does all this alter the career calculus of a finance business partner and their role in value creation? You know, how do we incorporate this into our, our professional, you know, career development? Yes, absolutely. I think that, uh, that, that is certainly changing now. And uh, I think the the big shift is occurring now, where where we can't just teach individuals on how to aggregate reports or how to <coughs> excuse me how to clean data or aggregate data, which is a lot of finance professionals end up doing. And rather, we're moving to how to automate processes or use analytics to discover uh, interesting answers to, to good questions. So I think part of it is being an, a tech savvy enough to work with data sets and, uh, and ask good questions to figure out uh, value generating answers based on analytics and automations. And another part is you still have to really intimately know the business and you have to really intimately know the accounting and finance that goes into it um, I think it's just there's like another layer that we have to train professionals and students on, which is being technology savvy enough to address value opportunities using the these updated capabilities. Oh, that's well put. It's very cool as well. Yeah. 
Um, Greg, thanks for coming back and educating us today. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Really awesome. It. And thank yeah. you to the subscribers of Upside Downside. The book is a great resource for managers, um, and I, you'll find a link to it in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.